You're listening to The Comics Hall with Amy and Paul, Sideshow's very own comic book podcast. Join us as we celebrate New Comic Book Day every week and discuss the latest releases, the biggest announcements, and more from your favorite publishers. What's in your comics hall? Hey, everybody. I'm Amy. And I'm Paul. And welcome to the Comics Hall. It's another new comic book Wednesday today on uh, October 14th, Wednesday, October 14th. So we are coming to you live at 4 p.m. Pacific to uh, bring you all of the latest news and updates and pull list uh, worthy items of this week. Now, we do have a moderator in the chat. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Jasmine and I'm moderating today. We are live on Instagram, Periscope, Twitch, Let Your Geek Side Show Facebook group and our normal Facebook group. And YouTube. We're live everywhere. How exciting. Thanks for joining us, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Jasmine. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, you can shout them out at her. She will be keeping an eye on the chats and then letting us know if you guys have questions so we can uh, address those during the show. But without further ado, we've got a lot of comic book news to cover this week. We really do. All right, everyone, clear out your shelves and you're going to need new tabs because we have a there's a new publisher in town a new independent comics publisher called story worlds has been announced with a format uh sorry with a formal launch set for 2021 and it's founded by former bbc employee max gadney story worlds intends to reach new audiences and bring new creative voices to uh the comics medium uh through a bit of an unusual format and it's going to be graphic novellas the publisher seeks to feature self-contained books um I'm sorry, and uh, books that run about 50 to 60 pages uh, foregoing the monthly format to hopefully break the battle for a reader's attention. I, I do love that format. I, I've got to admit a little bit. Um, Story Worlds will launch in February 2021 with four titles, a supernatural thriller called United States of Magic. We've got a cowboy samurai crossover that I'm personally very excited for uh, called The Sword and the Six Shooter, the tense tech thriller Only Hope, and Fab, F-A-B, a cyberpunk action story so that should be all very very exciting i know um i'm personally excited for you know i, I love samurais and cowboys so let's get you know, let's get right to february but now uh, for a uh something that you guys may have all seen over the weekend uh we do we did get a new invincible trailer uh last week the amazon prime video uh team re revealed the first trailer the first look at the trailer for invincible which is an animated series based on robert kirkman and ryan otley's super uh, popular and a smash hit comic. The adult animated show revolves around a 17-year-old uh, named Mark Grayson, whose father is the most powerful man on the planet, Omni-Man. When Mark develops his own powers, he discovers his father's legacy. It, it isn't as heroic as it seems. Uh, Invincible, though, will debut uh, on the Prime Video streaming service in 2021. The, uh, the cast... Uh, is pretty stacked. It's got J.K. Simmons, Stephen Yoon, Sandra Oh, Seth Rogen, Mark Hamill, uh, and a lot more. Honestly, go look at that cast. Uh, it's it's ridiculous how many people they've pulled together for that. Truly, truly. Uh, now taking a look over to the Marvel event side of things. I know previously we covered on Pulling Ahead the King in Black event. Marvel has continued this week to announce new uh, tie-ins to the King in Black event. Uh, individual titles that will spin out directly from the story by Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman. Uh, these books will be uh, heralded by a, a slew of different creative teams. Uh, and the announcements included the return of the Thunderbolts team, which uh, Marvel fans may recognize as the superhero team comprised of reformed villains. Uh, and there are some new villains on the team uh, based on what's happened in recent comic events. There is a Black Knight title. Uh, Black Knight is someone to look forward to ahead of the Eternals film. There is a Gwenum versus Carnage returning uh, the... <laughs> Venomized Spider-Gwen 
versus uh, Carnage. And then Return of the Valkyries about the Asgardian warrior women who were all killed in War of the Realms, whose legacy was taken up by the former Thor, Jane Foster. These newly revealed titles, as well as others in the continuing King and Black event, uh, these ones will all be slated to debut in January. Now, if you're not on the social media sphere of, of comics, you may have missed this one yesterday. On Tuesday, October 13th, the Vault Comics Twitter was taken <laughs> over by a fictional character named Henry Henry, who was the disgruntled lead of the upcoming series, A Dark Interlude, about a realm of manifested fear entities escaping in order to benevolently free humanity from endless sequel culture. Uh, Henry was actually first introduced in the 2018 series Fearscape, and this fun viral Twitter stunt involved the entity himself blocking the series writer Ryan O'Sullivan on the social media app before editing the, the Vault uh, Comics account biography, insulting the publisher and other creatives involved with the series, and advertising for a dark interlude in a very metatextual fashion. The Vault Comics account has since returned to normal posting, but you can see the results of Henry Henry's escapades on their profile at the Vault comics on twitter I'm, I'm glad they got everything sorted uh, i was i was real real worried about them you know he was quite rude to the people working on the book and the editorial side of vault comics but uh, <laughs> they seem to have gotten him back under wraps and we won't see him again until the book debuts i believe later this year in november or december yeah you so. never want to block the hand that feeds you you know i mean henry <laughs> henry but what are you gonna do um but before we do move on to our panel of the week segment uh literally right before the show started we had a bit of a, i guess you could call it breaking news um but as of, I believe, 3.30, uh, you can now subscribe for DC Universe Infinite, which is like the, which is their, I guess, just their comics only streaming app, which was, you know, at first DC Universe, which had, you know, shows like Titans, Swamp Thing, the Harley Quinn animated show. They have now completely moved all of their video content over to HBO Max and DC Universe Infinite is the home for just their comics uh, at launch. So which is available, you know, well, you can subscribe to it now and I believe it launches in January. There's going to be 27,000 titles uh, readily available for you to read. Uh, so you can actually go get your free seven day trial of course, when that starts in January, uh, you can do it now as of 30 minutes ago. So uh, go do that. Um, Amy, I need you to just kind of take over for the next 30 minutes. I've, I've got to enter all my information again. All and right. So. That is that is fresh. That is hot off the presses comics. Yes, it news. is. Uh, but we do have our panel of the week segment coming up next. Uh, for those of you who may be listening to our podcast format, thank you for joining us. The podcast format will uh, publish on Thursdays, so you can see all of the visual assets that are referenced in this show on sideshow.com slash geek on the official blog. That's where we'll host all of the uh, mm -hmm. extra material that you may not be able to visually see in the podcast. But otherwise, if you are joining us live on Wednesday uh, at 4 p.m. Pacific, thank you guys, because now you have the breaking news of uh, DC Universe Infinite. Uh, so, uh, Paul, do you want to explain our... our um, our concept or you, you picked the theme this week. I, I did. I, um, you know, ins the inspiration just hit me. Um, but I are the theme of our panel of the week, uh, for this week was rocket ships or, you know, spaceships, if you will, you know, they're, they're not interchangeable. I'd say, I'm sure there's someone out there who is very passionate about rocket ships who would argue, but, uh, rocket ships mainly was our theme. Um, Amy, please, uh, Please show us what uh, your panel was. I loved, I loved this, your panel so much. This was difficult. And, and Paul and I both went back and forth, but uh, a number of famous ships came to mind. But of course, I had to pick the Sundog from Invisible Kingdom number one by G. Willow Wilson and Christian Ward, 
Christian Ward both on uh, inks and colors. Uh, we actually did debut this exact or not debut preview this exact image on our Eisner's show as a as an example of Christian Ward's artwork uh, oh, when yeah. we were specifically speaking about Invisible mm-hmm. Kingdom, which is now an Eisner Award winning series, by the way. Uh, sure is. But yeah, I just thought this was it was a fun look at the little little spaceship in the midst of a giant galaxy where everything is still equally beautiful but if you're reading the story you know the sun dog is falling apart and the crew inside is really the most important part that is holding the whole ship together yes and now, so paul, now, yeah paul what did you pick for mine <laughs> I, I i think you know normally we try to be pretty ominous uh you know we try to be pretty discreet with who chose what panel um because if if, if it was based off favorites you know it would it would be Amy. Amy would win every single time. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, once they saw it was a Green Lantern panel, you know, they might have had an idea that it was to be. Oh, sorry. They can't see me at the bit, but I'm holding up my Green Lantern shirt. Um, I chose the X300 teleport plane from Grant Morrison's current run of Green Lantern. This is specifically from Green Lantern season two, number three. And you've got a really... Uh, beautiful ship with some like wonderful... Uh, weirdly chromatic colors there um and it's so it's the fastest plane in that universe at the moment uh and there he's trying to explain to hal jordan uh just be careful you know i don't know if you know what you're doing here but it's hal jordan so uh i i really love this panel i love the way that liam sharp uh i'm sorry liam sharp is on the uh on the pencils and the colors uh for this as well we both chose uh panels this week that the artists drew it and colored it themselves i believe and the colors are huge in these yeah. images. I mean, I really like the the way that yours looks like a almost a burned tailpipe. And your mm-hmm. ship itself is so much more beautiful than the one in my panel. I used the galaxy surrounding the, the ship to kind of emphasize the beauty of the shape of it. But uh, do we want to... Uh, I mean, you guys voted for us. Um, so we, this was... Paul and I put it to your hands. Uh, those of you in the Let Your Geek Side Show group voted for us. And the winner was... Drum roll... The, the sun dog. <laughs> yes, congratulations, Amy. Thank you thank for you, not moving you. the the broom to sweep all the confetti up. I told st- you last you know, week. You just let me win for my birthday. That's all I'm it was. I'm still behind <laughs> you though, because you you did pull ahead. We we tied for a little while there, but uh, th- thank you guys for voting. We're looking to expand the options for voting outside of the Let Your Geek Side mm-hmm. Show Facebook group. So please do t- uh, stay tuned to our social media at the Comics Hall on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, as we are looking to bring more ways for you guys to lend your voices to helping us decide the panel of the week winner. Definitely. But we really appreciate everybody who weighed in this week for the Let Your Geek Side Show group. Lots of great uh, insights and commentary also about who picked what and why. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now I think it's so time much. for us to load up those rocket ships and jet into our weekly haul. Uh, this was a big nice. week. <laughs> nice segue. Thank you. This is a big week. Uh, this is the portion of the show in which we cover the, the pull list for the week. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the term pull list, it is basically your subscription at your local comic book store. Um, Paul and I are infamous for having quite large subscriptions, uh, <laughs> and that is why we bring you the content that is we're, we're keeping an eye on what's new, what's continuing, what you want to be looking at this week uh, across the shelves. Yeah, chances are one of us is reading something that'll interest you. Uh, <laughs> you know, we historically speaking i'd say uh, amy kind of gears more towards marvel and you know me towards dc and we meet in the middle with some of the uh the indie books there yes, but the indeed. lines have started to get a little skewed more i'm starting to read a little more marvel if amy's definitely uh turned me on to more marvel lately excellent i'm glad to hear that and i you know there's a couple of dc titles i don't read many but the ones that i do i love very fiercely oh, um fantastic. so we do have our uh, patented aim system uh that is 
in which we review the book for you. We give you the aim of the title uh, because numbers is subjective. And if we if we say that we didn't like it, if it was a three to me, I don't want that to discourage you from reading if uh, it wasn't my cup of tea. So we have this acronym, AIM, to explain how we evaluate each of the books. And A is for accessibility. How easy is this book to pick up and read? But also, how easy is it to obtain? Can you get it digitally? Is it super limited? What is the... Uh, how do you get this book mm -hmm. in your hands um, and how do you understand the story? I is for interest. And so it, we would like to talk about who would like this book. What other similar titles are you reading that would uh, inspire you to pick up this book? Is it the writer? Is it the artist? Is it something uh, special about this book? And then the M is money or monetary investment. Uh, and that is how much you're spending, but also how many pages you're getting. Are you paying extra for more pages? Are you paying for a fancier cover? What are you paying for and what are you getting out of this transaction when you pick up this comic book? Right. Yeah. The, uh, the M is is gonna is it's gonna have its its rightful due this week. I think Amy's got a real doozy of the M and AIM this week. So, but we'll, yes. a little more on that later. Yes. <laughs> All right. So let's get right into it. Uh, so the first book that I was a really really excited to talk about, but so I was like I knew I had to aim this book is Rorschach number one uh, by DC Comics and specifically their off print uh, black label. So this is written by Tom King, art by George Fornionis. Fornones, and uh, colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clayton Cowles. Uh, Clayton Cowles, I don't know how he gets anything done. It uh, seems like every single, like I'm glad we we could put him on Busy Bee of the Week every single week, Amy, because he <laughs> does so much, as do so many of the uh, letterers out there who are the unsung heroes really of comics. But uh, this is a wonderful book. So let's get right into the A, the accessibility First off, uh, this is a pretty huge release. This is a book that I think a lot of people have been, you know, either excited for or definitely very curious. So as, you know, as far as accessibility goes, you should be able to find this book and its variants pretty easily uh, at your local comic shop. I think a lot of them are absolutely wonderful. Uh, but I, I mean, to be honest, uh, Fornias had did a great job with this cover uh, A, I'd say. I love the thumbprint. I think a lot of people do. And so as far as how easy you can pick this up, it, it is pretty accessible, I'd say, as far as a number one. Granted, I it's really, really hard, I'd say, for people to find a for lack of a better word, uh, like we like to say, a true number one in one of the big two in in, in Marvel or DC. Uh, this is pretty close because Rorschach is a character that people are very, very familiar with, but I don't think they associate Rorschach really by himself. Your brain immediately goes to Watchmen. So if you don't know that much about Watchmen or the Watchmen lore, that's actually not that bad. Uh, there are parts do play into this where, you know, they definitely talk about uh, Ozymandias and you know kind of how the original uh, comic did leave off and it sort of plays and I think this is something like 60 years after that so um, it's not imperative that you have read Watchmen but it definitely definitely will help you uh, to sort of understand this character and some of the complexities that Tom King is writing in here uh, now again going right into I um the interest of this book i i'll be honest like i've i've read watchmen i've watched the movie i've watched the hb the hbo show but as far as like properties i think that are out there like i'm not i don't consider myself like a huge watchmen fan but i do gravitate towards particular characters because i find them 
radically different than a lot of characters that we find out in comic books, especially now with, uh, you know, the Watchmen verse, if you will, sort of being folded into DC Comics continuity. I think it's really interesting to see some of these uh, characters from Watchmen replace other DC characters. Um, so th- it's really, really interesting. But I think the creative team of this book and the name of Rorschach is enough to really get you to read it, honestly. It's so good. And it's a it's definitely like a political intrigue, almost like a spy thriller that sort of it almost feels like memento kind of the Christopher Nolan Christopher Nolan film where it ends it shows you the end of the book and it works backwards in a way um so it's it's sort of how did they get to that point um and it's really interesting i think uh tom king's dialogue here is 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 pretty great it's pretty it's pretty fantastic i'm also reading strange adventures right now and you can definitely see that he puts you know the strange adventures uh hat down and puts the rorschach hat on i i think that's really uh, important when char- when uh writers are writing multiple books at the same time to see if you can differentiate the voice that they're trying to tell so it's um, the adam strange helmet and then he takes that off and puts on the rorschach fedora the, the, it sure does <laughs> or the mask or the fedora is probably more uh accessible <laughs> since i know tom king does use our aim system um but um <laughs> Uh, I, I think it's really interesting. The first issue of Rorschach really, really does ask a lot of questions. Um, and it does show that this character does have a lot of breath and a lot of life still within it because uh, I don't know if a lot of folks really know Rorschach outside of what has happened in Watchmen. But he has had a lot of uh, you know stories since. There was the before Watchmen sort of prelude that had happened you know way back when. Uh, this definitely feels like a nice fresh take and kind of bringing him to the forefront. Uh, It's, it's a great book. I really think you should read it based off the name, the art and the creative team alone. It's fantastic. Uh, And it is, I thought it was a maxi series. I thought it was 12, but it's only six issues. So, which I thought was really interesting. Tom King really loves the, uh, the 12 issue maxi, but you know, so as far as we know, it's, it's only six issues. Uh, Again, I could be wrong, but from all the research that I did do on this and from like my uh, my pull list and the solicitations. Pretty sure it's just six issues. Let's see. All right, we do actually have a question about uh, accessibility regarding uh, the character and if you've only seen the Watchmen movie. Oh, okay. So they want to know if they. Oh, yeah. So yeah, if you've only seen the Watchmen movie, that's the only thing you've seen. You're totally fine to just pick this up and read, because uh, one, it'll explain where Rorschach was left at the end of that movie it 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 sort of does play into the tv show a little bit because they do talk about oklahoma and everything that happened there within the show if you haven't seen it i'm definitely not going to spoil it because that show was wonderful and you should watch it but uh it does touch on that a little bit uh mr guy clender so definitely (laughs) you can uh watch that movie uh twice watch the show and then read the book in no particular order. It's all fantastic, but you can definitely uh, just watch the movie and then read Tom King's Rorschach and like have no problem. Um, then as far, as far as the M and aim, the monetary investment, it's four ninety nine and it's a six issue miniseries. And this is 32 pages. So it's a little bit, I think as we were talking earlier, Amy's a little bit oversized for mm-hmm. uh, normal, but it is four ninety nine. So, you, you know, you're getting your money's worth there. Excellent. Uh, so next on my list, I think this week is really fun. We've got a lot of, uh, kind of 
not lampooning of superheroes, but the the <laughs> off kilter superhero universes. Um, I'd like to take us over to Villainous Number One from Mad Cave Studios, previously reviewed on the Comics Hall. Uh, we we checked out their Stargazer title. Uh, now this is an entirely new debut from Mad Cave by writer Stony Williams, with art by Jefferson Sedzinski, colors by Joanna Lafuente, and lettering by Justin Birch. Villainous is a fun. And very uh, peppy opening issue. You guys are seeing the cover currently with uh, our protagonist, Reptili. Uh, her name is Matilda, but she does exhibit reptilian uh, anatomy and powers. This is a, so I'll start with the A for AIM. This is a brand new number one from Mad Cave Studios. And like Paul was saying, number ones are, are a bit of a different beast in the big two when they're using licensed characters uh, that people have reference for in other films and media. Uh, however, with a, a company like Mad Cave, this is an independent publisher. Um, so all of their number ones have to essentially be accessible without any prior backstory, because these are an entirely new set of characters and rules and conventions uh, that you have to understand. It is very easily accessible in terms of establishing its plot and its world. Uh, and it utilizes the conventions of superhero world building, but you quickly learn that the status quo is going to, to change. Now for I, if you are a fan of series like The Boys, My Hero Academia, or even Alan Moore's Top 10, then you are 100% in the right place. This is a world where powered people are not always 100% as utopian as you might hope. Uh, it's got the My Hero Academia vibes of young sidekicks registering to train and, and study under the heroes, but it's got the, the boys and the top 10 feel of a coalition of heroes, as it is called in the world, the coalition of heroes, uh, who may not be 100% on the level they are organized, which means that they work for a shady organization or possibly shady organization. Uh, but from the, the young perspective of an outsider who's very excited uh, about this idyllic idea of the superheroes, uh, Reptili is, is excited to start her internship. It's a very fun setup. Uh, Reptili is amazing. Uh, and, I, and I didn't have time to pull specific panels of her face, but you'll want to read this alone for the uh, Jefferson Sadzinski uh, expressions that he puts on her face. Uh, she's adorable. She has at least uh, five panels where I was like, oh, I feel that. I, I, I very strongly identify uh, with that expression on her face. Very larger than life. Um, very fun. And in a way, she reminds me of also Kamala Khan in the fangirl aspect of how you react overly to seeing superheroes uh, in that in that kind of teenage way. Uh, and it's also always fun to have a new and imagined uh, roster of superheroes with different powers. Uh, in terms of the world of villainous, the people's powers are pretty standard for what you see. I mean, we, again, do have a reptile. We've got the super strength. We've got someone who's super fast. So that is a kind of traditional uh superhero slate we'll see something a little different when we go to our pick of the week uh but this was a fun and solid debut um, from mad cave and for the M, it is 3.99 standard page count standard price there's not a whole lot else i can say without spoiling it but i think the comparison especially as the boys is really relevant right now but this is a slightly less from the first issue slightly less mature in terms of gore and violence uh take so if you're if you're maybe not as keen on the violence in the boys uh you'll want to check out villainous for sure just it was really fun and i love like reptilia is so cute <laughs> yeah, like it's it, really it's, weird to say but she's just so cute <laughs> it's a beautiful cover too i love like that purple against like the i don't want to say harsh green but like that really bright green of her skin mm -hmm. that's a beautiful cover i know at their their showcase recently right didn't they give away some of the, the variants to this as well yes there was a hannah templar variant uh 
and, and you can check that out. Actually, Mad Cave did ha- host their showcase mm-hmm. on October 3rd. They did create a series of special showcase limited variants that do have the uh, Mad Cave showcase stamp on them. Those are available on their website. So you can check those out if you're interested in obtaining some uh, mm-hmm. rare variants. Do uh, be advised that they are pricier than the $3.99 of the standard book. But that is a fun uh, little collectible if you're really interested in investing in these Mad Cave titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. so that's Villainous number one. <laughs> I really <laughs> liked it. It was fun. Yeah, it's a great book. And it was like something that I knew I wanted to pick up. And I was like, that's what I forgot. I knew I wanted to read it. And I, I didn't pick it up in my LCS, but I will. But for something that I did pick up is Seven Secrets Number 3, which is the next book that I wanted to aim. Uh, I I always try to be really thorough with how I aim books that are in like sort of in the middle of an arc. But I, generally speaking, only do it when it's, um, you know, creator own books because it is easier sometimes i believe to catch up and sort of just kind of dive right into this world so i really really believe that uh, specifically with this book this is written by tom taylor uh the art is by danielle uh and colors by walter biamonte uh tom no i i have a book by tom taylor and tom king just everyone knows if you are on twitter they are different people (laughs) (laughs) they're very different people (laughs) they are different people uh both incredible writers in their own right um, so I really wanted to start this with like the pitch for like how, like why you should read this book. Uh, I, I do absolutely love the way that they had solicited this, uh, originally and it's for centuries, the order has trusted in keepers and holders to guard the secrets in seven briefcases against all harm. But when their stronghold is attacked and the secrets put in peril, the entire order must face their greatest fear, an enemy who knows too much and is willing to, uh, kill them to get what he wants. I so we'll just jump right into uh, the aim of it. I love this book so much. Now, as far as the accessibility goes, uh, this has sort of become another really heavy hitter in the Boom Studios lineup, I'd say. Uh, I know it had a ridiculous uh, first – it had a ridiculous launch, I think. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Amy, but didn't it like – for a brief time, didn't it like win – I feel like there's always that competition with different creators it's like between like Al Ewing and Tom Taylor. And I think Al Ewing has got the, he's got the, uh, the crown right now with, we only find them when they're dead, but seven secrets had a ton of pre-orders when it was originally yeah. launched because it has glowing reviews and sort of, uh, previews by like Scott Snyder by, I think Chip Zdarsky, Al Ewing himself had one and they all had just said like, this is what a comic book should be. And I, I cannot stress it enough. Like it is a wonderful book. And it's gone into multiple printings as well. So, um, yeah. I, especially recommending this book in the middle of an arc, you are liable to find, uh, reprintings of i i believe both the first and second issues already uh so if you uh if you unfortunately missed out there's still time to catch up otherwise we're we're close we're halfway through to a trade but uh there should be plenty of printings uh if there's not a first printing and there's lots of variants available too. I, I have this one on my poll. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love it. But Paul, take it away. Yeah. I, I had, uh, I had actually checked when I went and picked this up today. There is a third print still available. Uh, there's a third, third print out right now of issue number one and a second print out of issue number two. I have to assume that number three is going to go into a second print as well. Uh, it's fingers crossed. That's good for everyone involved. But so 
as far as like accessibility, obviously you can't just pick up three and and just sort of understand you're going to be dropped right into the middle of everything. However, that would be pretty impressive if someone can just pick up three and just get it. They just kind of are writing their own story. I would love to see it. But uh, like we were mentioning, that sort of folds in when we were talking about the different printings to the idea that you should be able to go to your local comic book shop if they are the type of shop that does stock, uh, you know, pretty, uh, pretty new books. Not all of them do. But there is, um, I'd say there is an urgency I would get at too because this book, you know, Boom Studio specifically, we only find them when they're dead. They tend to fly, I think. Um, oh, geez. Uh, like Once in Future as well was another one that it has like eight printings or, or oh, that might be uh, Something's Killing the Children, I believe. But it's just, you know, you're always going to want to try to pick these up as soon as you can because one, just kind of jump on the bandwagon as soon as you can. And this is one that I cannot stress it enough. Um, so you should be able to find this relatively easily. And then if you pick up issue uh, one and two, you really, really should uh, be able to just jump right in because this is a brand new story. It's a creator-owned story. You, you need no backstory in order to be able to understand one, two, and three, other than those three issues. So as far as the interest goes, the eye and aim, it's, it's really hard to say like who would love this particular book. There's a lot of influences that you can tell Tom Taylor pulls from, but I sort of narrowed it down and Amy, please correct me if I'm wrong or you think I'm completely out of a, you know, out of left field here. But I felt like uh, the Umbrella Academy in certain mm -hmm. aspects of the dynamics of the order and also Deadly Class. I got a lot of sort of Deadly Class vibes from the interaction of the students, um, in this order, as well as in, as far as the Umbrella Academy, sort of that real ominous, uh, you know, cloud that's kind of looming over the art, the, over the story. I, I really kind of got that in this, but. Absolutely. And, and actually, may I add two other suggestions that oh, were yes. what were pitched to me? I mean, or one was pitched to me and one I've kind of extrapolated myself. Mm -hmm. uh, primarily, if you are a fan of, uh, like Shonen Jump manga, like right. it, it reads so briskly and it, and it really does evoke the, the kind of, uh, young adult action manga style, even though it is traditional Western comics. And this one might be totally out of left field. I get a little bit of saga vibes, um, in, Ooh. in the sense of it is the child of two people who should not have had a child narrating the story. And I right. do like, uh, our protagonist is Caspar, um, the way in which he sees the world because he knows that he is, he's not supposed to be. Uh, and we do have those interludes that are like Hazel with Alana and Marco in Saga, right. which, oh my God, I'm maybe this is because I'm just waiting for Saga to come back from hiatus. <laughs> but but to have the child of two people in a very t like fraught situation that is life or death balance, yeah. uh, and I won't spoil it, but the way that Caspar knows where the story is going and hints at where the story is going before mm -hmm. you've even seen that, um, it 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 did give me Saga, but it has the high flying action vibes of Shonen Jump magazine. It it, it really does. And I'm someone that I can I can count on one finger the amount of mangas that I have read. Um, and this to me feels as much of a manga as I think a traditional, if you will, like, you know, Western comic book has gotten with because uh, Dina Qualo has just a way to evoke such energy in all of these panels. Like you can sort of really, really really understand what is happening in almost every single action sequence, which is an incredible feat. And Biamonte does a great job of sort of 
knowing where to color and when to color, when to hold back, let the art speak for itself. Uh, so I think, you know, the art on this is, is, you know, up there with Tom Taylor and what he's doing, you know, as far as the lore building, which is, it was great that you did bring up Saga because this does have an incredible sort of lore that you're just sort of, uh, unraveling page by page because there you can tell i mean there's even a, a page in this and it is they kind of talk about how long this order has been and someone does a particular thing they're like someone hasn't done that in three thousand years so you have three thousand years of story like immediately that they just kind of blow over because what's happening immediately is so important um it's fantastic uh this is definitely a book that you know i mean i understand you know we uh me and amy are also very ob obviously because you know we're doing the show right now. Big comic book fans uh, in in every sense of the word. And we understand that people do trade weight. So, I mean, not, you know, if this is one that you you do want to wait on trade for, totally get it. It's going to read like so much fun. The only, but you are going to want to like probably <laughs> put it on your pool because it. I feel like this comic really flies. Like it, it moves does. so fast. Like there is this kinetic energy literally from page to page. It feels like it's just never stops. Um, and that is of course in largely in part to how Tom Taylor paces uh, seven secrets as well as how uh, Dina Qualo really, really kind of draws uh, every single character and their motion or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. And to make Beautiful. the case for, for trade waiting, I mean, I do want to comment on the, the direct market is very interesting and, and the single issue sales do uh, play a big part for the publishers, but what can make or break a book such as Seven Secrets, which I'm sure will have no problem, but things like Finger Guns and other smaller titles we've recommended to you previously um, is the trade sales, is the collected edition, because actually more people are reading in collected edition, more people outside of the realm of who picks up their books every Wednesday trade paperbacks go to the bookstores as well. They go to the libraries. And so um, it's always important if you do identify a title that you want the trade for, pre-order, pre-order. That is mm -hmm. what is going to to really help these books um, kind of sing uh, and, and really stay on the shelves so that you can wait for more trades instead of saying, oh, people weren't ordering enough of the single issues. They, they couldn't put out the next volume. And in fact, uh, a lot of the books that I'm reading right now, like Crowded and Invisible Kingdom, are going the way of switching to trade for their final or next arc because they would rather get the sales from the collected volume than mm -hmm. do the monthly totally. format and then possibly not have as strong of a showing for the final volume. Um, yeah, it, it's, so a totally, really... it's a totally different way of reading comics and there's no way, there's no wrong way of reading comics as long as you're doing it. Right. Legally, Legally <laughs> and what, yeah, supporting yes. the creative teams. That's, exactly. That is the only uh, way to do that. But I do want to uh, hold on just a sec. Let's uh, transition here uh, to a trade that I want to talk about that if you <laughs> trade waited for, uh, I've got some great news for you in the mathematical spe uh, sector. Uh, but this week, one of the biggest releases both physically, literally, and just in my opinion, uh, is the War of the Realms omnibus from Marvel Comics. What we're showing you on the screen currently is the cover of the sixth issue, which is uh, one of the two covers that are available for the omnibus with a slightly different trade dress. I was not able to pull the actual image of the trade dress, uh, but it is a bound uh, edition. 
Written by Jason Aaron, with art by Russell Dodderman, colors by Matt Wilson, and letters by Joe Sabino, the all-star Thor team. But I also want to add that not only did they work on that, but the the creative team of of several dozen comic books are also included. And it would take me forever. It would take me the entirety of the segment to name all the people credited in this book. Uh, this is the entire War of the Realms event mm-hmm. in one. So for A, accessibility. War of the Realms is itself the payoff to seven years of Jason Aaron's Thor storyline that encapsulates the entire event from its kickoff. And it does it. it this is the entire event. So in terms of accessibility, you don't have to find anything else outside of this event. Uh, but like a Marvel event, you don't have to have read all of Jason Aaron's Thor to get into it. Marvel strives to have their crossover events be accessible no matter what title you are reading. However, uh, the sweetest of payoffs is if you've been reading any any modicum of Jason Aaron's Thor story. Um, but War of the Realms does a good job of quickly explaining the stakes in the battleground in the, the primary six-issue uh, event. And it's entirely centered on the Thor mythos. So if you have at least a vague understanding of the cosmology um, of the realms, knowing that there's 10 realms, not just nine, uh, this event touches every superhero team, every continent on Earth, And uh, there's a little bit of something for everyone here. However, what this book does not collect is the Road to War of the Realms, which were the prelude titles and the aftermath books that spun out like Punisher Kill Crew or Valkyrie. Uh, But it does encapsulate the main event, all the tie-ins, and then the Omega epilogue issue. Uh, For I, interest, again, if you read Thor, Thor God of Thunder or Mighty Thor, this is required reading. There is no way that you can go, this was great, I loved all of Jason Aaron's stuff up until Jane Foster, or up until that last bit of Jane Foster, but I don't want to see how it ends. That is criminal. I'm sorry, you have to You have to read this. This is required reading. Uh, it is a, like, I know I'm biased, and so you shouldn't listen to a thing I say, oh, but it oh, is a you? true <laughs> testament to a series getting to run its length hit its beats without interruption, hit the payoffs that fans have been waiting for, and even do a little bit of setup for stuff that, like, inevitably, I know, like, in my heart of hearts, some things that this event laid down are going to come up in King and Black because of the way that Jason Aaron and Donny Cates began to thread together elements of Thor and Venom regarding the symbiotes and All Black the Necrosword and Null himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... Not saying that you have to read this one in order to understand King in Black, but there that is just the beauty of when Marvel stepped back and let Jason Aaron and his creative team do this book. Um, and in terms of general interest, then outside of that, uh, Iron Man describes it best in this book. Uh, the story is like Dungeons and Dragons threw up on Manhattan. However, it doesn't just hit Manhattan. It hits Again, as I mentioned, every single continent. It's sword and sorcery. It's a little heavy metal, like think Tarna, uh, and a whole nice. lot of monster of the week fun for all the tie-ins. All the tie-ins kind of get a monster of the week because as each continent gets taken over by an invading realm, you get to go global with the story. So we have the new uh, agents of Atlas in Asia as Muspelheim, the realm of fire, is marching on their continent. North America gets frozen over by Jotuns. <laughs> Australia falls to the trolls. Europe falls to the dark elves. Uh, South America gets taken over by uh, the land of the dead. Africa is taken by the angels, which are the 10th realm. So you might not recognize them from the Norse cosmology. And Ar- mm. Antarctica gets sent to Roxxon uh, for oil drilling. Uh, so it, re- it really is a global story. And I can guarantee your favorite Marvel character is in it. They don Asgardian armor. 
people get flying horses. Uh, <laughs> Spider-Man has one of the most poignant uh, interactions with a Pegasus. And that was written by Tom Taylor in the Strike Force Land of the Giants uh, issue that was regarded as one of the best of the whole series. Um, truly the most global Marvel event that I've ever read. And it's not one of those ones that changes everything as we know going out of the event, but it it plays with every kind of uh, toy in the box. Uh, and I know we are we are coming to the end of the AIM, AIM segment, <laughs> but I want to hit you with some fun math for the M for monetary investment. The omnibus that comes out this week is a solid $125, which might sound a little little uh, scary on the, the wallet there, but it collects everything from War of the Realms. That is 63 issues, 1,576 pages of comic books. If you do the math, that is less than $2 per comic issue. It's about $0.08 cents a page, uh, which is half the price of the, the series, essentially. If you read every single separate issue like I did, not getting special variants or any covers, just the standard event books, I, I, I calculated for you guys the pre-tax <laughs> cover cost of the event when it originally published in 2019 was $262.38. Jeez. That is not counting tax. That is not counting variants. That is not counting extra printings that I may or may not have added to my collection. So if you want to get this event, if you waited at all, this is this is the real deal. I mean, honestly, and I've read I've read Marvel events since about 2013 now. So I did I did Civil War II, I did Secret Wars, I did mm -hmm. all those kind of little Avengers crises, uh, Secret Empire, all these different things. War of the Realms is the most fun I've ever had because the stakes were high for what they were, but they but it wrapped up so neatly and and didn't spill out too greatly. Um, and again, it is the payoff to seven years of my favorite comic book series. So there was no way I wasn't going to go all out. So you can now go all out without going all out of your wallet uh, and get the omnibus that came out this week. It is available through traditional booksellers right. next week, but comic book retail stores have... Uh, the War of the Realms omnibus this week. Yes. And time. <laughs> that yeah, there we go. I had to do that math. I like oh, I had man. to know. Yeah. So I, that that's the true power of the M in AIM. <laughs> yeah. When we say monetary investment, we take it seriously. Um no, I know we did have uh, a question, but we also wanted to do our rapid fire round. I think uh Amy, because I am putting the uh the Oscar music on ourselves. So we can get, you know, because we, we do have to wrap up relatively soon. I think we should get right into our Hall or the Hall segment. Okay. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to skip rapid fire and we're going to skip pick of the week. Oh, that's right. We have to do pick of the week. We do I, have to do pick of the week. Let's do it real. I, let's, I was let's make the so, pick of the week a rapid fire. Every time you talk about it, I get so invested in the monetary value of that omnibus because it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's hop into our pick of the week, which yes. was... Commanders in Crisis, number yes. one from Image Comics. Yeah, it's it's a this is a, a really wonderful book. I I think um, what we and me are going to try to do with this is is sort of aim the book uh, very I, I'd say lightly, you know, in, in ways that we both kind of approach this. Uh, Amy, I would really like if you sort of talk about the uh, the insert there by uh, Dan DiDio first because that really sort of sets the tempo uh, and you know for this particular book. Yes. So Commanders in Crisis, um, first of all, real quick, it was written by Steve Orlando with art by David Tinto, uh, colors by Francesca Caro Tenuto, mm -hmm. and lettering by Fabio Amelia. Um, so this is the first of a 12-issue series, um, and it was really nice. We had the, the book opens 
with um, its very uh, patriotic and red, white, and blue kind of um, graphic design with a, uh, a foreword by Dan Didio. Mm-hmm. Um, so he actually speaks to the testament of the accessibility of the book. Uh, and it is a true number one, though extremely ambitious. He speaks to the mm-hmm. crossover elements of your favorite big two publishers and how everyone loves to see DC characters from across the multiverse come together to combat a threat. Well, what is harder than getting people interested in a DC crossover event than a crossover event with characters you don't know anything about? Commanders in Crisis is itself a crossover event within a brand new world created by Steve Orlando and Davide Tinto uh, and just a really cool endeavor uh, in the superhero space. And unlike books that we talked about this week, like War of the Realms or Villainous, um, its style of superheroing is anything but conventional. Um, it, it very much subverts the typical superhero crossover event. And so it was really great for uh, Didio to kind of speak to the fact that it is, it is ambitious enough to do it with Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, but to set out to tell a 12-issue story with characters that no one has heard of uh, and establish a new world. It's just, it's really fun. And it's really cool to see how that plays out on the page. Yeah, and it's and I love how highly he also speaks of Steve Orlando, someone who not only loves, you know, superheroes in and of themselves, but knows how to write a good team and a good crossover as well as Steve Orlando has done, you know, on multiple occasions in his career or during his stint at DC. Um, yeah, and again, like Amy said, this is a true number one, and everything that you're gonna need for this book is is in this book uh, originally. I mean, you do. I, I, I do, I should say, I, I love the way that it does just tackle the superhero genre head on because there are um, two huge events going on right now in the big two. And, you know, as you know, me and Amy have both worked at comic book shops and we know a lot of comic book people, um, I'm sorry, a lot of people who read comics, you can really be sort of, uh, you can fall out of love with the idea of like, man, there's always these huge events but I do love eventually uh, specifically with this book, how it does speak to that. And that, you know, you can like, this is uh, as Amy had mentioned, a really, really ambitious attempt at a crossover event of, you know, in, in that same vein, it, it's got that same, it's trying to bring that same energy. Um, and Steve Orlando does a wonderful job sort of laying out these characters and getting, I love uh, what Dan DiDio had said in it is not only knowing these characters, but caring about these characters. So sort of, I, I know we both kind of touched on it uh, a little bit, but as far as the interest in this book, if you love superhero books, but you really don't have the time to go lore digging, um, this is a wonderful book to sort of just pick up and really, really, uh, if, if this is what you want your superheroes to look like, really invest in these characters because they are all really well laid out. They've all got much, very, very different backstories and I, I do love, though, that it, there is that sense of familiarity between, like, some of these heroes. You can tell they're almost like amalgamations or proxies for what some of these mm-hmm. other heroes look like. But in the way that they operate, their powers, their the way they talk is so radically different. It's yeah, and just, just to give you a little taste, just to, to pique your interest, uh, one of the characters whose name is Prizefighter, his power is that he is as strong as the crowd hopes he is. And there is a character called the Originator who speaks new words into existence that physically alter reality. So it is not mm-hmm. your typical, we got a strong one, we got a fast one, we got a magic one kind of team. It's very, right. very mind bending and, and 
I think that sets them up perfectly for the challenge that they are facing, which is anything but uh, a typical, oh, we got to fight the villain. They're fighting concepts and ideas themselves. Um, and then for M, this is a three ninety nine book, but it is a 12-issue limited series. So as Paul says, if you choose to invest in these characters, you will be investing about that price for every single uh, issue in the series. But you know what to expect when it yeah. is collected. Yeah, I mean, very, it's a very unique take on the superhero genre this week in a week filled with superheroes. Exactly. It's it's very, uh, I mean, again, I just keep coming back to the word to use very ambitious, especially since in uh, in each of the big two, there are two huge events going on and saying I am going to drop a cr completely original superhero team sort of crossover right in the middle of all of this. Uh, it's something that I think, you know, only Steve Orlando uh, could really accomplish because he's a very, very ambitious writer and we love it. Yes. So now we do want to get to our holler at the hall segment because we did have a, a myriad of wonderful responses yes, based on our did. New York show from last week. So this is the holler at the hall segment where we ask you guys a brain scratcher of a question uh, to um, kind of elicit some fun responses. This is your chance to uh, tell us what you think and we will read some responses on air. Um, so last week during our talking tour of Marvel's New York, we asked you who would be the best neighbor if you lived in Marvel's New York. We kind of gave you the overview of the city, who lives where, and uh, we wanted to hear what you think about who would make the best neighbor in this colorful uh, superhero capital. Yes. Uh, so we got, we got a, a, a lot of really great responses. We really did have to cut some of them down because um, some of them are very detailed. And so, uh, you know, starting right off here, um, we had uh, in the Let Your Geeks Said Show Facebook group, OG Bernard said, Cap, of course. So saying Captain America would be the best neighbor, of course. Besides keeping the area safe, he'd be the best neighbor. Uh, noise, uh, he's a quiet, merry dude with a family. Curb appeal, who doesn't love the red, white, and blue house. Social events, every now and then Peggy and Steve will have a throwback dance party. Uh, he'd probably help shovel the sidewalks in the winter and overall be a great neighbor. What's not to love? <laughs> now, I do like Lauren Ashley Zarillo's uh, more interesting choice for choosing Captain America. She voted Cap because he's so kind, plus you get to watch America's ass go down the street. Uh, <laughs> we also asked you guys what we thought, what you guys thought of uh, who we would pick as neighbors. And so Lauren said, uh, I think Paul is pro Doctor Strange, and I think Amy's a little more Daredevil. I think your an our answers will shock you, but we will yes. drop those uh, at the end. AJ Agrusa said, honestly, I think Spider-Man would be awesome to live near. I feel like you could geek out with him and have good chats. Plus, getting pizza with him would be great. I completely get that. <laughs> um, Ashley Brianzo said, the best neighbor would be Carol Danvers. We could sing karaoke on Thursday nights. I would flirt and sit goose slash chewy when she's out saving the universe. And no one would dare steal anything of mine because they would get a sparkle fist to the face. <laughs> I love I uh, like, flirt and sit is a great word. <laughs> I like the specificity of karaoke on Thursday nights. I mean, yes. that's. That is someone you are you are good friends with this neighbor. Um, now, the most legendary response we got was Andrew Worshborns, <laughs> and we will post the full response uh, on our blog at side.show slash geek or sideshow.com slash geek. Um, but just to give you a taste, Andrew Worshborn asked us, are the two of you crazy? None would be good. How many times have fights broken out at a hero's home or headquarters? How many times have the hand ambushed Daredevil in his apartment and killed anyone in their way? How often does Dr. Doom send Doombots at the Baxter building? That being said, 
Doreen Green's roommate, be, being Doreen Green, uh, excuse me, that's a hard <laughs> name to say, being Doreen Green's roommate slash housemate hasn't seemed too dangerous. So I guess Squirrel Girl is my answer. <laughs> we'll post up the full response on our blog. Uh, you guys can check that out in the Let Your Geek Side Show Facebook group. Otherwise, it is a delightful response and actually a very smart uh, thing to consider that sometimes yeah. you wouldn't want to be next to the heroes because they are the targets for danger. Yeah, and we had just said about one-third of that response. Uh, it is very detailed and very long, and he seemed to have gone through like all of the boroughs and why you wouldn't want to live there. Um, <laughs> now, really, to well, – oh, I'm sorry. We also have uh, – jasmine and her sister cody we we chose their jasmine responses. our moderator jasmine our moderator sorry i had like pointed down i don't know why i just <laughs> that's where she is when she pops up in the three of us there um but uh i believe cody had said i would also like to live near clint barton but um like jess mentioned primarily for access to lucky the pizza dog also i think amy chose jessica jones and paul maybe daredevil dr strange i'm not quite sure on that one so they had both said that but amy tell Tell the people before we wrap up who you chose. I chose Benjamin Grimm, the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. I know that Yancey Street is the target for a lot of uh, attacks, but I feel like he's a good Jewish man. He's a very nice uh, guy to live. Even though he's got like a very rocky exterior, he's very close with the people that he considers friends. I feel like on a street like Yancey Street, all the neighbors would be pretty tight. Uh, he's he's married, so I feel like maybe uh, they would have nice family dinners uh, as well. And I just, I don't know. He just strikes me as a guy who I would really like to be friends with. If you can get past that gruff exterior, Ben Grimm is a loyal friend. A, uh, he, so I picked, I picked Ben Grimm. <laughs> and Paul, who did you pick? I chose the night nurse uh, specifically because I would save a ton on healthcare. I could just go there. She lives in a neutral area where she because she heals villains and heroes. So there's like a 10 block radius where people are not allowed to fight. And she lives by a lot of bridges. So once the stuff started going bad, I'm I'm the first one out. So uh, night nurse, which I think even probably both of our answers shocked each other. So I'm, I'm yes. glad we can still do that. <laughs> that was fun. So thank you guys for your responses. Loved all of them. It was great seeing what you thought we would pick and what you guys also personally chose. Yes. Um, so we do have another question for you guys for next week. Uh, your holler at the, the hall question slash assignment is what is the longest running series you've ever read? Uh, we want, I think numerically as far mm -hmm. as it goes, what is the longest time you've stayed on a series reading? Uh, let us know. We'll provide some examples when we post up in the Let Your Geek Side Show Facebook group this week to get your responses. But like the longest running continuous series without reboots, relaunches, what book is that for you? Yes. So if you want to answer that question, you can email us at thecomicshall at sideshow.com or you can shout it out on the Let Your Geek Side Show Facebook group or on our social media. Again, we are at the Comics Hall on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Mm -hmm. So you guys can catch us every Wednesday live uh, at 4 p.m. Pacific on Sideshow's official uh, channels, Twitch, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Um, and if you are listening to the podcast, that is live every Thursday following the new Comic Book Wednesday. Uh, and you can check out our blog again at side, uh, sideshow.com slash geek for all those updates. Thank you guys so much for joining us. As always, I'm Amy. And I'm Paul. And this has been the Comics Hall. This has been the Comics Hall with Amy and Paul, presented by Sideshow. Submit your response to our fan mail question of the week by emailing thecomicshall at sideshow.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, don't forget to vote on the panel of the week in the Let Your Geek Sideshow official Facebook group. You can watch us live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on Sideshow's official Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, and Periscope channels. And you can keep in touch with our show on social media at The Comics Hall on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Thank you so much for listening. And as always, don't forget to let your geek side show. 